0: No ketchup, Chicago. What's really good, my people welcome into No Catch-Up Sports Talk via Chicago. I am your host, Sean Little. Big Nick the Quick got the night off. Happy New Year, my Gs. I haven't talked to you in this new decade yet. Hope the New Year's off to a great start. Mine has been. Nick told me his has been great. So, let's get it going. Let's jump right into it. New structure for No Catch-Up. I'm going to start going Tuesdays and Thursdays. Twice. Straight like that. Be on the lookout every Tuesday, every Thursday for a new episode. Sports talk. It's gonna. I'm going to open it up nationally. I'm going to talk about everything. Anything that me and Nick feel like talking about that's happening in the sports world, we're going to speak on it. We're going to have a Chicago-specific segment. We're in Chicago only, of course, because that's what we do. That's where we live. That's where we lay our head. That's where we're experts at. But we're going to talk national as well. Chicago will have its own separate chapter where we'll bang up the Bears, we'll bang up the Bulls, we'll talk Cubs and White Sox, we'll talk whatever we feel like in the Chicago space. We'll do a weekend recap on Tuesdays, go through everything, we'll have a guest, we'll talk about some other things, favorite thing we saw over the weekend, and we'll keep it pressing from there, that's what we're going to do today, Tuesday, January 14th, 2020. It's Tuesday, so last night was the Joe Burrow show. I got to start with Joe Burrow and LSU. That boy is cold-blooded murder, period, point blank. Calm, cool, collected, mature, 23 years old, graduate of Ohio State University already. All he's been doing the last year is locking in on this new system was locked in all year. I was simply fascinated watching this guy last night and the last three weeks. Because I saw what he did in the regular season, right? Everybody saw what he did in the SEC. He was good. He was really good. There's no, there's no arguing that, right? But what's he going to do against Georgia? What's he going to do against Oklahoma when he gets to the college football playoff? What's he going to do in the championship against Clemson? Answered every bell thoroughly. Boy had six touchdowns last night. Six in the national championship. Just doesn't happen. Six throwing, five throwing, excuse me, one running, six total. This is, against guess, one of the best defenses in the country. So they say. Clemson had one of the best defenses in the country and was coming to the sideline and dapping up all his boys after, after six. He was doing all that. Confident. Boys, confident. He's got the swagger across the board. When you, I'm a, I'll keep it 100. When you're a white quarterback and you come over to the sideline and you got different dap up shakeups like you're LeBron with your other black skill players. You're locked in. Those are your boys. You ever see, Did you see Trevor Lawrence walk over to his boys and dap up and do a custom handshake in the end zone and on the sideline? Do you ever see that from any other white quarterback? This boy's different. The it factor is an understatement. He's def- The it factor is 100% locked in. That goes without saying. Boy's cold-blooded murder. Had six touchdowns last night. That's coming off seven touchdowns against Oklahoma in the semifinal. That's coming off four touchdowns against Georgia in the SEC Championship game. Georgia, another top three defense. All games must win. I know in college you gotta win every one, but even in the regular season with with, with the they beat seven top ten teams. During the regular season, they probably could have dropped one and got in the college football playoff. Anyway, once you get to the SEC championship and you get to the the college football playoff and you get to the natty, there's no room for error. These are must-wins, period, point blank, that's it. You lose to Oklahoma, you go home. They're not talking about you being the best quarterback. They're not talking about you having the best quarterback season of all time. Cause you blew it, you lost. You're at home. Heisman, cool, great season, but you're going home. You had a bad game. He didn't sniff a bad game. Clemson's D was giving up 264 yards a game and 11 and a half points per game. LSU put up 628 yards and 42 points, and had to kneel at the two yard line because they were going to tack on some more points. Joe Burrow had 5,700 yards passing, 60 touchdowns, six picks. And that's 60 touchdowns throwing the ball, just throwing touchdowns. Because he had 65 total touchdowns. People talking about he broke the record. He broke Colt, uh, I think Colton Brenner, Colt Brennan, Colt Brennan. Almost forgot Colt Brennan. How could I? <laughs> I'm surprised I remembered it at all when I was doing my research, my homework for this, uh, for this piece. But I got a little story on why I remember Colt's name. But people are talking about 60 total passing touchdowns. He had 65 total touchdowns on 76% completion. Stop it. Six interceptions. 10 to 1 touchdown interception ratio. Stop it broke Colt Brennan's record from Hawaii, who had 58 touchdowns in 06. Colt Brennan of Hawaii had 58 passing touchdowns in twenty in 2006. Do y'all remember that Hawaii squad? It's funny. The reason I the reason I remembered it, when they mentioned his name, I was like, oh, yeah, Hawaii, they had a crazy O because one of my first sports bets of all time was when Hawaii played Georgia. Matt Stafford's Georgia actually. And the over under was some ridiculous number like 77 or some crazy shit, right? And I'm naive and dumb and young and I'm like, "Oh yeah, Colts going to put up 60 and they'll probably and, and uh Georgia'll put up 40, so that shit's going to go over easy." Come on. Stop. Georgia won that game 41 to 10. And that and, and and another thing about all this this that this this Burrow season and what he did last night that's crazy. He broke Colt Brennan's record of 58 touchdowns in the SEC. He's playing the best people in the country week in, week out, all day long. Colt Brennan and those boys went to play Georgia in the Sugar Bowl and got blown out 41 10. Brennan had three interceptions. Burrow hung up 60 touchdowns in the SEC. Cole Brennan of Hawaii was playing Nevada, Las Vegas. I'm looking at the schedule right now. He was playing teams like, they got W's over teams like Nevada, Las Vegas. Eastern Illinois, weren't even they're not, they were a non-major at the time. I don't even know if they're a non-major now. Shout out Tony Romo. Shout out Jimmy G. I think they're both Eastern. They're in the WAC. That was when the WAC was around. They are playing teams like Nevada, Fresno State, Idaho, New Mexico State, Louisiana Tech, San Jose State. That's who Cole Brennan was playing when he threw 58 touchdowns. Joe Burrow? Joe Montana Burrow? Joe Marino Montana Burrow? Is playing in the SEC. We already know who's in the SEC. Shannon Sharp was going crazy on Twitter last night. Went crazy this morning talking about Burrow. And he laid out eight reasons why Joe Burrow had the greatest college football season ever. And I'm going to read what he wrote down because, I mean, I have to agree with him. Record 60 touchdown passes. 65 total touchdowns. Record. Second best completion percentage ever. You would think a guy... That throws 60 touchdowns in a year. It's just a gunslinger throwing it all over the place. Completing, you know, completing balls at a 65% clip. That would be good. The guy was completing at a 76% clip. It's stupid. Third most passing yards ever. 6,000 total yards. Beat seven of ten teams. Heisman Trophy winner. National title. I don't know what the quarterback award is called. You know, the wide receiver award is called the Bolitnikoff, but he won the other one too. Heisman won the other one national title. It was ridiculous what he did. Cool, calm, and collected the whole way. Never got excited. He literally could have hung up 13 touchdown passes on Oklahoma. They called the dogs off. I think I think he might have had six in the first half, maybe even seven. He might. I don't think he threw one in the second half. He could have threw fifteen touchdowns. That's how exposed and dominant they were against Oklahoma. So to move past what Shannon said and kind of what I tend to agree, that Burrow had the best college football season of all time. It's tough because when stuff just happens, I'm included, you're included most of the time. You're kind of biased to 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 you have a re, you, have, you have a recent bias when you see something that's just happening you're like, "Oh, best guy I've ever seen," right? So if you were watching the game, they at halftime they did a bunch of uh they were doing the list of best college players of all time. Shout out Barry Sanders. He was one of them, and he's the best running back, in my opinion, of all time, pro, college, whatever, Bo Jackson included, all those guys included, right? Herschel Walker, all of them, right? In your opinion, who had a better year? Joe Burrow with the 65 total touchdowns, the Heisman, the national championship, everything, or Barry Sanders? Look, Listen to these numbers from Barry Sanders. This is in 1988, Oklahoma State. He had twenty six hundred rushing yards in twelve games, thirty nine total TDs, average two hundred and thirty nine yards from scrimmage per game. These are, this is just this is just rushing. He had a three hundred yard game against Tulsa. At Kansas State, he went for 320 and three touchdowns. 320 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Versus Texas Tech, he went for 332 and four touchdowns. Do you think, answer this while you're listening. I don't know. You can go back and look at the numbers. Look it up. Barry Sanders, 1988 college season. 2,600 yards rushing in 12 games. Burrow had 15 games. If you add the bowl game which brings it to 13 Barry Sanders ran for 28 hundred yards and had 44 total touchdowns. (laughs) That's crazy. Burrow or Sanders? Burrow or Barry? Answer that while you're listening. Go look up the numbers. I think it's a valid argument, but, man, what I just saw from Burrow is, is is out of pocket, right? This LSU squad was a perfect storm. Coach O recruited a full roster of talent since he's been there in 2016 when he took over for, uh, for Les Miles, the interim. Everything came together. It all came together. Shout out Coach O for what he went through. Everyone was clowning him. He, he showed him what time it was. Delegated what he needed to delegate. Recruited his ass off. Got a bunch of talent. Got a chip. You always need talent. You always need coaching. And you always need a quarterback. And you need all three at the same time. That's the only way you run off seasons like LSU just ran off and get a national championship. You can't have two and not one. Can't have two. You can't have good coaching, a lot of talent, and no quarterback. You're done. You can't have really good quarterback, really good coaching, and no skill players. You're finished. Can't do it. You have to have all three at the same time, or it won't work. That's why this was the perfect storm. That's why it's so hard to get a championship. You got to be clicking on all three of those cylinders all the time, and then you got to be able to play D all at special teams, all at. Especially in college, it's tough because people leave, people go to the league. Perfect storm for LSU in this squad this year. Jamar Chase, Belitnikoff winner at wide receiver. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. He reminds me of uh, Mark Ingram. Low, solid. I couldn't tell you how many times I was watching him, thought he was going to get tackled and go down, and he didn't. Ran through people, all types of stuff. He reminds me of Mark Ingram. The quarterback, the scheme, everything has to be good. The passing coordinator, Joe Brady, he's already moving on. He's going back to the league. Came from the Saints. Brought a passing game to LSU who didn't have one per se last year or in the years previous. He's going back to Carolina. He's going to go back to the league. Perfect storm. He comes in. They get shit rolling. They have a quarterback that's ready to go. They got talent all over the place. Natty. Title. It it, it was storybook, man. Perfect way to close out the year for LSU. It was perfect. Close out the year in the Superdome, in New Orleans, your LSU. It was a perfect storm across the board. All the ex LSU players are there having a good time. We'll get to uh to Beckham Jr. and what he did. He he loves the camera. I love OBJ. Great, great, great wide receiver. Extraordinary talent. Yo, bro, this is not about you, man. Yeah, you went to LSU. Cool. And that's also another example of. There's no reason him and Jarvis Landry sh- shouldn't have got or had more success at LSU. But guess what? They didn't have the they didn't they didn't have that 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 perfect storm, that great coaching, great quarterback, and then pieces to complement, you know, him and and Jarvis. You need all three of those. I tweeted last night. Joe Montana, Burrow. It's 10x better than Trubisky right now. And he's 100 times cooler and more confident. He's going to walk into the league and be a problem ASAP, in my opinion. He's got everything. He's mature already. He's ready to go. You know how they always talk about if people are, are, are ready, is he mature enough, can he handle He's ready for all that. Nothing fazes this dude all year. Makes me jealous Cincinnati's gonna get one. What a perfect storm for LSU. Congrats to those guys. Congrats to all the fans, LSU fans, all that. And we'll get to OBJ in a second. I do want to touch on this for a quick second. Burrow to Cincinnati. To shoe in, right? Since he goes two and fourteen, they're the number one pick. Washington's number two at uh three and thirteen. And they have a quarterback already, obviously, right? Shout out Dwayne Haskins. I always bring this up around guys like this. And he's from Ohio, so he'd be going back to Ohio to play for the Bengals. That's interesting. That's storybook. So maybe he's not even thinking about this. But I always think about what Eli Manning did. He's like, no, man, I'm not going to the Chargers. I'm not doing that. Figure something else out. Sorry. You see my last name, Manning? I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. I'm not going to San Diego. I'm not playing for the Chargers. Since he's not the most stable organization, they're not the biggest market. I know this is not a popular stance, but I always think, like, man, take everything in control, do your own thing, do what you got to do. It'd be interesting if Burrow was like, I don't want to go to Cincinnati. Like, like let's look at the top 10 squads right or that had the top the top 10 draft picks Cincinnati Washington Detroit the Giants Miami Los Angeles Chargers Carolina Panthers Arizona Cardinals Jags Cleveland of those teams since he could use a quarterback Detroit maybe could use one but they have Stafford there right he had a he was having a really good year before he went down but I mean he's he's a vet now he's been in the league 13 years, 12 years. The Giants don't need one. Miami needs one. They're at five. What if he's like, "Ah, I'd rather go to Miami. I like the market down there. I like it down there. Chargers need a quarterback. Phillip Rivers is finished. Go to L.A., big market, make a bunch of money, hang out in California. I don't think that's leveraged enough with the super big-time talented guys coming out. Because they have that leverage. That leverage for Joe Burrow is there. Do I think it'll happen? No. Would I like more players to explore that? Yeah. You control the narrative. Congrats to to LSU, Joe Burrow, all those guys. Let's move over to deeper in the weekend because we're going to start doing the Tuesday weekend recap. That's how we're going to open the show going forward. NFL playoffs are wild. I know that's old news now. I'm going to do a couple quick hits, and then we're going to move over. And I want to talk about a whole lot of money, A.B., Antonio Brown. But really quick, some couple points I wanted to touch on with the NFL. Boy, the Niners look mean. They got their boys back from injury, D. Ford, Tart. They look tough. Rested. I will say this. I'm a little biased towards the Niners because I have a futures ticket on them uh, getting to the Super Bowl, winning the NFC. I'm looking to cash that. I will cash that. I'm already booked to go to Vegas to cash it. You already know. But they look mean. Rested. Richard Sherman is back talking shit. That underrated play. He's back doing that. But they look mean, healthy, and they have Green Bay at home, who they already beat up. I think that's a more interesting matchup than people are giving it credit for with with Rodgers. Rodgers knows this is going to be one of his last opportunities to get to a Super Bowl. They're going to pull all the punches. He's going to be on his shit. We're going to break that all down on Thursday, though, so don't trip. But moving to the Titans. They go up to Baltimore, beat up Lamar and those guys, get a W. I don't know about y'all. I didn't know Tennessee's D was that tough. I knew about the run game. I knew Tannehill and those boys was putting up points. For them to go into Baltimore and beat those boys up like they did, with with never seeing that offense and you know that the the, the RPO game and the the option game and and, and everything that. Lamar and those guys have been doing to people all year. For them to go in there and do what they did was very impressive. Two fourth and short stops. I didn't know Tennessee was getting down like that on the defensive end. I'm not sure Baltimore knew either. Let's move over to the Texans and the Chiefs. Wild ball game. And I actually feel bad for the Texans. And I'll say this. They never had a chance to win. They were never going to win the game anyway. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, they were always going to lose that game going to Kansas City, going into Arrowhead. They were always going to take an L. But then you go up 24-0, and now the L looks 100 times worse. Now they want to fire your coach. Like, if O'Brien went in there and they lost 37-17, it's almost like, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. Don't go up twenty four zero though. Then take the L. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It looks it looks ten times worse. Now it looks like you blew a game that you were never going to win in the first place. So I kind of feel bad for the Texans, their fans, Deshaun, all of it, because they never were going to win that game ever. You go up twenty four zero, then you go in the half down. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Packers Seahawks Packers just win man, whatever you want to say about it. Mark the ball short, whatever. We we win. Oh, it's third and long. We need to, we. I need to drop a dime into Devontae Adams. Twelve drops back bucket. Anything they needed. It's funny. Seattle and Green Bay have been a team all year where anything they needed to happen to win, they got it happened for them. And one of those teams had to lose, so it was Seattle. That's it. Green Bay in San Francisco next week. We'll break that down on Thursday, but that's going to be an interesting one, and it's a, it's a big one for me because I need the Niners to win. Staying on the NFL, let's move over to AB. Whole lot of money, <laughs> Antonio Brown. Now, I laugh, and I like A.B., man. I root for, if you know me and my record, and man, oh, man, I I, I root for these guys, right? I root for the guys that are outlandish, talk a lot of shit, and then go out on the field and bust people ass every week. It's like my favorite thing in, in, in sports. Like when a guy like Johnny Manziel in college was busting everybody's ass in the SEC and doing the d- doing the finger thing with the money in their face. I loved it. I love it. You don't want me to you don't want me to to do the the money sign? Then slow me up. I root for those guys. I don't know what AB is doing here though. I'm talking about AB's live If you haven't seen it, just jump on the internet. It's all over Twitter, it's all over everywhere, the internet period. All the nonsense of with the Raiders you forcing your way out of there, I'm cool with it. You want to burn up millions guaranteed? That's on you, my G. That's fun. Do what you got to do. You don't want to be in Oakland no more, get you got to get out. However, however you got to get out, get out of there. You got to get out of Pittsburgh. You got to get away from a quarterback who's been throwing you 15 touchdowns every year. You got to get away from a guy giving you 150 targets every year. You got to get away from an organization that's been going to the playoffs your whole career. You win the division every year. You got to get out of there. Fine. Do your thing. I support you. Get out of there. Take control of your narrative. Get out of there. Get your money. Get a new contract. Go to Oakland. You don't like it in Oakland? Cool. Get out. The stuff that he's doing now, hey, yo, the rapper, the the music videos, all that stuff. I don't care. Cool, do it. Now, all this harassing women and abuse and, and, and essentially verbally abusing and, and and having domestic violence is where you got to. I, I can't support it. On IG Live, he's he accuses his lady of trying to steal his car. He, she was trying to take the kids to school, whatever. There's just better way to go about these things. He'll never play in the NFL again. A guy that's last full season he played, he led the league in touchdown receptions, will not play in the NFL again purely for essentially no reason. All self-inflicted stuff, he won't play again. It's sad all across the board. There's better way to go about things. A sense, what he was doing in that video is domestic violence. And that also brings me to another point is you have to make sure and this goes for athletes and regular people too. You got to know who you're involving yourself with and having sex with and doing all this shit because you don't have to worry about shit like this if you know who you're dealing with. There's better way to go about things. Creates a terrible atmosphere for the children. The children are running around. They see you talking to their mom like that. She could be a low life. I don't know anything about her. That's fine. But you still can't say that in front of your kids. Can't do it. Better way to go about things. Something is off with him right now. I don't know if he's lashing out. Because he's not playing ball or he he feels like the world's against him. I think that might be a little bit of that. That might be part of it. But I hope someone's reaching out to AB. Like He's got a lot of yes men around him, it seems like. There was a guy in the video next to him kind of just laughing at everything he said. He was cursing out the police. He was calling his baby mama names. He was throwing stuff at her in the street. And there's guys in there laughing. They're recording it. It's just not a joke, man. This is AB's life and and, and the rest of his life. He He's going to have to figure out. He has his whole life to live now. He has to figure out what he's going to do with it. I don't know. AB's what? 31, 32 years old? If that, 30? I hope. I know this sounds crazy. Do you think Mike Tomlin would reach out to him? Awesome, just black man to black man. Hey, A.B., look. He seems like an impossible guy to talk to, though. You almost got to let him hit rock bottom and then he, he might open up a little bit. I don't wish that on him, but that's the kind of guy he comes across as. He's not going to listen to anybody about anything. I hope he comes around. I hope he gets it fixed up. I hope he I hope he changes, but we'll see. He's going down a dark path, real shit. That's what it seems like. He's given all the signs of going down the wrong way, and i hope I hope it doesn't go that way Let's move over this to some Chicago only talk. Only thing popping right now really is the Chicago Bulls. We can obviously talk about Brady to the Bears. But I don't want to go through that. I saw enough quarterback play from Burrow where I'm already depressed enough. I don't need to talk about Brady to the Bears and make myself feel even more pissed off. But the Chicago Bulls took a L last night at Boston. Of course they did. They're trending towards 28 wins. That's where they're at in the East. Levine did his thing. Had little support. Man, we miss Wendell Carter around the rim. I didn't think I would say that as much as I, as much as as much as I have been to myself when he went out. But we definitely miss him. And I'm gonna if I'm gonna keep it 100%. Laurie Markkinen looks more and more like mush every time I watch him. No edge to him. No dog in him. If I get 40, which never happens. If I let me be more realistic. If I get 25. Cool, great, nice. I had a good game. If I get nine on five shots, six shots, that's fine too. Whatever, whatever. If the ball makes it to me, cool, whatever. If not, cool. He's mush. No edge, no dog, no go-getter in him. Nothing. But I can talk about that all day. Let's talk analytics. Friend of the show, Darnell Mayberry of The Athletic. It's going to hop on. Just dropped a really good piece on The Athletic Monday with Mayberry is the series. Make sure you check it out. Here is Darnell Mayberry of The Athletic to talk about his interview with assistant GM Steve Weinman and the Bulls players about analytics and uh, that department over at the United Center. My guy, friend of the program, Darnell Mayberry of The Athletic. My guy, how are you?
1: I'm good, man. How you doing?
0: I'm great, man. Happy New Year. It's good to talk to you. I'm glad we catching up because I came across the the analytics piece that you dropped on Monday. First off, let me take a quick step back. Monday with Mayberry, the series is hard. I love it. I look forward to it. I like, I like, I like the, the weekly vibe with it. You know what I'm
1: saying? Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I, and, and you know, it's tough for me cause I'm not the most consistent brother out there. I, <laughs> I'll be the first to admit that. Right. So, so when I, when I set out at the start of the season to try to do something consistent, it was, it was tough to try to make that commitment because I know that, you know, sometimes I'm not, I'm not the best with commitments. So, uh, I'm glad to hear that you are enjoying it, man. That means a lot.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, it keeps you on your toes. You're like, man, I can't be, I can't, I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm ready for this piece on Monday. So it gives you a little structure, but yeah, I hear you, my guy. Right,
1: right.
0: <laughs> well, everybody that's listening, every Monday, uh, D. Mayberry drops a piece on The Athletic. Go sign up if you haven't already. He writes great stuff. It's all over the Bulls, keeps it 100, percent of the time. The latest piece, I guess you could call it a feature on uh, Steve Weinman of the Bulls. He's the assistant GM, and he he kind of runs the 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 analytics department. Can I can I can I call it that?
1: Yeah, I think he would appreciate it if you called it that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, so, I, mean, I mean, I'm not too there worried was some about confusion. him. But yeah, right,
1: yeah. No, of course I know. But there was some confusion about whether or not they even had an analytics department, which was part of the reason I wanted to do the piece in the first place. And the way he came out and, and said it so uh uh assuredly and convincingly, you know, I I think you can say the Bulls do have an analytics department.
0: Yeah, I mean, well it's yeah, it's not a good look for for him if people are out there saying that we don't have an analytics department when he's been around for what, ten years? Yeah. So seven and a half. Seven yeah. and a half, right? So I mean, if we don't know about it, we should. So yeah, I mean, I would I would take offense to that if I was him too. So I feel that. Right. Like. I thought the piece was really interesting because I think the whole analytics, you call it a wave, but it's almost like the nerds versus the real hoopers, and then you can find yourself a couple people in between, but there's mostly guys that are numbers, nerd guys, and there's real true hoopers that have played, and they don't see the game the same way. So, the, the, the whole topic in general is actually really interesting, so... The way you broke it down was great. Bringing in you obviously you you talked to Wyman directly and then brought the players in, which which I thought was really really interesting. Before we get into the article, where do you personally stand on analytics and how they've affected the game and changed the game? I'm not I'm not
1: huge into them, um, but I understand why they matter, uh, and I do appreciate the. Um, the impact that it can have on decision-making. You know, like I grew up playing the game and I'm more on the side of the old school traditionalist uh, who who appreciates the game without the numbers. Uh, But at the same time I do have, and I've learned, I've had to learn to grow in an appreciation for the new wave um, and I don't understand all of it completely, uh, but I need to as a reporter. I mean, that's my job. And if I have an audience out there that craves that, I need to know uh, what I'm talking about and, and be able to give them some information that, uh, that they could appreciate. So um, I, I see both sides of it. And the disconnect between the two is something that I really do understand. And it's something that I've really wanted to write about, to be honest with you for a while. And this ended up being one of the pieces, like that, kind of hit on that topic without me even really trying to write the write it the way I wanted to write it. I really wanted to just get the Bulls' <clears throat> perspectives because I know how I feel about it, as I just mentioned, and I wanted to know what these young guys in the locker room felt about it. Right. Um, and, and so that's how it originally started, but then you know I put in a request to talk to their assistant GM. Steve Wyman, and he was cool with it, and, you know, we talked, and, uh, you know, it it might not be as detailed as some people, you know, analytical people might want it to be, but I thought that it was good for people to just at least peel back the curtain a little bit on how these guys view it. No doubt. Especially those 12 players on that Bulls roster.
0: For sure, and it's because if you, you could get in the weeds real crazy and get super detailed, and it turns into... It's not so much fun to read. How about we put it's it like boring. that?
1: Yeah, it'd be boring. <laughs> How about yeah, we put I'm it like that? You. It'd, be, yeah. it'd be boring. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. So yeah, no, I appreciate the the line you told. It, it, it was really interesting. To to kind of piggyback on one of the things you're saying, I think one of the big pluses from analytics is you can make a decision and it takes there's no emotion attached to it. There's no opinions. It's like, yeah, bro, this is what it is. Yo, you shouldn't be taking pull-up threes or you shouldn't be doing this. Here are the numbers to support it. It takes away opinion. It takes away emotion. And I think that that can be valuable. The The, the part where I start to – it starts to rub me the wrong way is when you're trying to force players to, to fit this analytics mo- mold that – that's not really their game. I'm a big believer on a coaching staff and an organization. You should mold to the the roster that you have and the players that you have. So if, and we're going to get to this, like Kobe mentioned in the article, and how the, the quote was, it's like, hey, a mid-range is part of my game. That's been in my bag. And essentially I'm being told to remove it. it that's where it starts to kind of rub me the wrong way. Do you think sh- – should players mold their game around analytics? Like if, if they start getting information, should they just change how they play ball? It doesn't seem like the Bulls players and a lot more players around the league, at least this generation, are, are, are buying into that.
1: Yeah, and and you heard from a couple guys, you know, Otto Porter, talking about he's the mid-range king. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Chris Chris Dunn has always talked about how much he loves the mid-range Although he's cut back a lot, you know, I think most guys <clears throat> that that I've talked to, you know, for this story and just over the years, uh, as the analytics wave has has kind of come up, is that they are going to do what's comfortable for them. Uh, you know, Zach Levine's another guy who talked a lot about it uh, when I spoke with him about this piece. I mean, he's he's going to do what's comfortable. Uh, and he said that all season. So I just think most guys are going to kind of try to play in a rhythm and a flow as opposed to trying to figure out, okay, this gives me certain number of points per possession versus
0: this shot. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah, 100%, right? And I think it's interesting to see the different comparisons and what different players say, like guys that are established versus guys that aren't. Otto Porter was right. like, listen here, bro. I'm not taking that out of my game. I don't care what Jim Joe Jimmy says, what any department says. That's part of my game. I'm not taking it out. Levine, an established veteran guy, he's like, yeah, I'm not really buying into it that much. And uh, I'm just kind of go do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to score 30. That's what it is. Right. But then when you hear a guy like Chris Duntalk, who's on the final year of his rookie deal, He's like, man, I, I, it's just one of those. Th- he he's saying, I got to try to mold my game to what they want me to do because I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to stay on the squad, essentially. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Like, if we're gonna right. keep it 100, like, what what do you want me to do? Because I want to be on the team, right? So, guy, it, it's it's funny to see the difference between him and Otto, and 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 how that dynamic differs. Because it's kind of like, man, look, I'm not changing shit. I'm a vet. This is what I do to a guy that's trying to get another deal, he's like, man, let me know what I need to do. And another example is uh, Archie. He's like, man, yeah, I mean, you want me to be in the deep corner? Cool, I can do that.
1: And to his credit, he does it well, you know?
0: Um, but
1: I thought Archie made a really good point, man, one of the best points uh, among the players that I that I heard, which was, you know, five to seven years from now, this might just be second nature to these guys. You know, a lot of these guys in the league now have grown up. Most, all of them have grown up with, you know, mid-range shots and and post-ups, and you know, um, you know, kind of all the different ways that the game used to be played. <clears throat> now, guys are starting to become acclimated with the new way that that teams, uh, at least at the NBA level, and general managers, front office people, scouts are anticipating and expecting or trying to change the game. So um I think the next wave of players to Archie's point are going to come in and, and just really be in tune with what's going on already, man. And I think that's going to be a, a real game changer when, when the next crop is well-versed in what's happening and, and they already understand how to play this way.
0: Yeah. I thought that was, I, I literally have in my notes, Archie mentions threes or layups. That's the next that's the the next crop of young players will already know that coming in. So it won't be uh, a big transition like it is for guys that have been in the league 10 years already. I mean, you know what I mean? Kids out there right
1: now, high school hoopers are watching James Harden, you know, like, yeah. and, and they're seeing what he's doing. It's he's different to the layup. He's getting <laughs> to the rim. He's getting free throws or he's shooting threes and getting fouled on threes. So they're going to be trying to kick out their legs and get fouled on threes or whatever you want to, you know, call James Harden's game. So, I just think man it's it's a we're in it right now we're in the in the middle of
0: we're in the transition right now Yeah we're in the
1: transition this is the the next wave that I think we're going to see with the game and kids are picking up man I saw a video the other day of a kid crossing half court I think they said he was 9 years old he was crossing half court and just letting it fly <laughs> <laughs> And he was hitting it yeah. that's the crazy part he was hitting it and and you know his form. I mean, he's nine years old. It takes every ounce of of strength he has to be able to even get it there. Right. Uh. But but he was hitting it, and it, it's crazy to me just to see how the game is really trickling down to the lower levels, and and that's that's kind of where we're headed.
0: Absolutely, man. That's yeah. That's all you see on Twitter is people with crazy handle trying to get to the rim and and and, and flush on you, or they're just pulling up. That's it. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean. Tomas Sadoransky is a perfect example of what I've never seen, and you don't have to comment on this, but that this just made me think of that because it's going to be guys <laughs> with handle trying to get to the rim and they're going to be looking for guys at the three-point line no matter, no matter if they have a layup or not, right? This guy, Tomas Sadoransky, I've never seen a guy not look at the basket like this dude in my whole life. And... That's why when when you start pulling up the, the the analytic numbers, it's like, yo, this dude's wild efficient. Like, yeah, because he's he, he's giving up a lot of buckets that he should be laying up and he's dishing the ball and he's like he, he he's never turning the ball over, etc. Um, he's an interesting guy. I, I don't know uh, we won't I, I won't even get down the, the rabbit hole with that. I was arguing with my boy the other day about that. But that made me think of it. Another thing is What's interesting right now, and, and just to prove our point that how much we are in the transition, it seems like the regular season, and I'll use the Rockets as an example because they've been ahead of the curve and Maury's been ahead of the curve and tony has been ahead of the curve for years. They have a lot of regular season success, right? You get to the playoffs, though, and man, when you need a bucket, <laughs> you need a bucket. Ask Kawhi, ask CJ McCollum. There was was tons and tons and tons of mid-range stuff going on last year. So it'll be interesting to see, and outside of Golden State, when they're out there running around with legit the best shooters of all time that have ever picked up a rock and run the gym. I mean, you can argue what you you want about Klay Thompson, but we know where Steph Curry ranks, right? It'll be interesting to see when that transition gets all the way over the top and teams like the Rockets are running people off the floor in the playoffs, not necessarily the regular season. Mm. You know what I'm saying?
1: <clears throat> yeah, because that's still the one critique that people can have on this new brand of basketball right. is that it really hasn't led to um, a championship. I mean, you've got the Warriors who were shooting a lot of threes, but they were the Warriors with Kevin Durant. You know, like Exactly, that's what I mean. Uh, and they played defense, so right. um, you know it's not like they just rolled that style to a championship. They played; they were the D league's best defensive team, if not the league's best defensive team, one of the league's best defensive teams. So um, that's the only critique that is still out there on this new brand is that it hasn't really. You you can't really point to it and say it leads to playoff success.
0: Right, it's like, oh yeah, what do you know? The Rockets have sixty-five wins. Let's show me, like, let's. Let, I mean, let me see some in the playoffs type of thing. Yeah, that's that's where I'm. It's interesting to see where this transition will get when they're a team like the Rockets or the team that's really, really only shooting threes and landing the ball up are blowing teams off the floor in the playoffs. I'm gonna leave you with this. Can can I found the Kobe White? quote in the article very very interesting and i quote kobe white when i first got here to the chicago bulls he's talking about i took a couple of mid-ranges and they were like no nah, we don't want that that's a bad shot white said so it took me some time getting adjusted to because the mid-range was a tool that i had in my bag that i like to use but if that's a bad shot it's a bad shot like hey i'm a team player if you guys are saying that's a bad shot it's a bad shot right could something like that ruin ruin a, a rookie point guard in your opinion <laughs> um ruin so, might be a strong word, but w- would it maybe set him back and he'd have to the 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 growth process would take a lot longer
1: a rookie point guard I think that's the key phrase um i think it could i think it could maybe play some some tricks on his mind um but I talked to Brian Scalabrini in Boston uh when the bulls just played out there. And, you know, Brian's doing a lot of media stuff now, so he's just hanging out in the media room.
0: Right.
1: Um, And he actually brought up a good point because we were talking about Chris Dunn. And I look at it the same way uh, because Chris Dunn loves his mid-range shot, and he was actually okay at it. He wasn't great at it, but he was okay at it.
0: Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of offensive strengths. That was one right. of them, and, a- and, and they don't want him to do it. it. Right, <laughs> right. And, and, right. They've,
1: and they've completely taken it away from him. Exactly. Uh, only for him to shoot a bunch of threes that he is— that you know, he, That's kind, not his game. That's not his game, right. exactly. That's a good way of putting it. So, um, and the thing that Brian Scalabrini told me was that when a coach— comes out and gives a player the straight and narrow, just here's what we want you to do. Leaves it black and white, cut and dry. It simplifies the game for him. So in the case of Chris Dunn, they said, don't worry about trying to go in this alleged bag you think you have. (laughs) Either either layups (laughs) Or threes, (laughs) layups or threes and probably more corner threes than above the break threes. That's probably what they've told him. And so (laughs) Brian's point was in teaching him that or in trying to get him to play that way, they have simplified the game for him so that he's not not out there thinking and overthinking. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. The game has been streamlined for him that he can now just go out there and worry about doing two things, scoring layups or taking three-point shots, catch-and-shoot threes. Maybe that's something that they you could say that would benefit Kobe White, but that dude's got such a green light, I mean, that wouldn't even fit because they let him do everything else. So why is he just not allowed to take mid-range
0: jump shots you know for the most part and this think. is the guy you drafted though the to this is the other seat like and, and i respect Scout, the white mamba and, and i understand that and I, but i think that answer works more for a guy like chris dunn right offensively right. this guy's not even he's not dynamic anyway so it's like hey listen bro forget about the, the alleged bag that was a great way to put it we <laughs> want you to shoot corner no, threes point. Yep. and lay the ball up right You go draft a guy like Kobe, this dude pushes the break. That's all he did in North Carolina. They used to run up and down all over the place, right? He pushes the break. When you ask a guy like that to start thinking all the time, I think it just just takes away from his game, bro. He's not out there thinking. He's out there just playing ball, doing his thing. That's the type of player he is. So in my opinion, when he has to slow down and start thinking, is this a bad play, is it not? He's already not doing what he how he's not playing basketball. How he's always playing basketball. So I think that's going to take him. It's going to be a big adjustment for him.
1: Well, you you mentioned something that got me thinking just about the way the game is taught, and I'm probably close to 20 years older than than Kobe White at this point. But you know, I'm sure he was taught the game the same way in Pee Wee as I was taught the game, which is on the fast break. When you're the point guard, what do you do? You get the middle of the floor, you get to the nail, and you make a decision. If They don't come at you, you pull up, yep. and you take the shot, yep. right? Yep. Well, now, that that was the instinctive way that most players from a certain generation have played. Now they're saying pull up at the three-point line. So all of those things that have been taught to you and drilled into you all of this time, now people are saying, don't worry about that. This is what we want you to do because all of that, that was bad. Think about this as a new way of playing, a more efficient way of playing. It's better for you. It's better for the team. So, you know, it's going to be an adjustment for a lot of players. And, um, you know, I-, I can't wait to see where the game is in five to ten years because it's really changed. And like you said, we're in the transition now.
0: The transition is right now. and it's and, and it's interesting because it's like – for example, what the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson—they drafted a guy and they built a system around him. If you're not looking for a point guard to 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 push the floor and play to his strengths, and one of his strengths is a the, the mid range shot, then I um, I would almost say draft somebody else. But that's for that's a whole other discussion, right? It's like I, I just hate the fact that you bring someone in and you're like, you know what? Ch- I want you to change your whole game up. Th- that's where that's where it starts to, to, to rub me the wrong way, but it's in the middle of the transition. We're going to leave it right there. My guy, Donnell Mayberry, The Athletic. Make sure y'all go check out the uh, his newest Mondays with Mayberry. Bulls assistant GM Steve Wyman and Bulls players talk about how they use analytics. It's live on The Athletic right now. My guy, let's talk soon. All right, man, I appreciate it. And let's close it. The fourth segment on Tuesdays. It's going to be the Cornball of the Week. Initially, I named it the Darren Ravel Cornball of the Week. I think I still have to name it that because he's still the corniest dude on planet Earth. But we'll see. But we will be doing a Cornball of the Week, me and Quick. If we're together, it's two. If it's just one, it's me. It'll be one. Cornball of the Week. My Cornball of the Week, Odell Beckham Jr. I hate to say this. Because I'm an OBJ fan. I love what he does on the field. I love what he does off. I love the Nike deal. I love other team and other players wearing his cleats. I love the Beast deal. I love how he supports everything. He gives his headphones to to LSU before the game. He's in there talking to the team. I love it. That shit he did with the $100 bills on the field, giving them to, to LSU players after the game was corny as fuck. Pure point blank. Cornball activities. Go look up the video. If you didn't see it, Odell Beckham Jr. After the game, people are still in pads. They have their championship hat on. They're on the field, on the Superdome turf. He pulls out a wad of money, counts out blue face hundreds, and is dapping it up with some of the players that he, he rocks with on the team. He's handing them Thousands of dollars. I love. I love the gesture. It's almost like a. It's almost like a middle finger to the NCAA. These guys are no longer eligible. The game's over. They're about to, to, you know, go on try to play pro ball or do whatever they're gonna do. And I'm gonna break you off some ends, man. Enjoy yourself. Have some fun. Don't do it in the middle of the field at the fifty. Once the game is over, they still in their pads. Come on, OBJ. It's just corny you know what that reminds me of It reminds me of when these influencer and these big internet folks go out and help the homeless and they record it and make it into a big spectacle that they're helping the homeless that's what that's what that's what it reminded me of go in the locker room dap up the boys like yeah yo go have some fun take your lady out go on a trip whatever you want to do here here a couple things go get a fit go get whatever you need to do pay the bills whatever. Give some to your mom. Do whatever you want with it. I love the gesture. I don't like how he went about it. Doing it in the middle of the field right after the game with when you know there's 15 million cameras around. You're making it about you. You're making it be known that, yo, I want everybody to see me giving these dudes some money. It's corny. Break them off after the game in the locker room, whatever. Off to the side. Yo, it's cornball activity. Break the ends off in private. Cornball of the week, Odell Beckham Jr. But congrats to LSU. That's it for me. No catch-up sports talk via Chicago. I am your host, Sean Little. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. Go give a five-star rating. Rock with us. Helps us get exposure. Go grab a t-shirt. I still got a few of those left nocatchupchicago.com slash merch. Go check that out. Appreciate the love. Big things popping in 2020. Do not record yourself giving money to someone to put it on the internet. Don't be like OBJ. Nocatchup Sports Talk via Chicago.